week two of our series, Death for Life, looking at how the death of Jesus brings us life. Um, and we're basically unpacking, it's a nine-week series, and we've been unpacking the question of what happened at the cross of Christ. So the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ brings life. Okay, and we, we will be unpacking that. You may or may not know that yet, but we'll be unpacking that from, from Scripture. Today, I want you to ask yourself this question. When you look at the cross of Christ, when you think of the cross of Christ, do you say, in his death, Jesus is my example? Jesus is my example. That, that's, what we're, that's the title of, of this morning's preach. That's what we're looking at. And throughout the series, we are exploring how the gospel of Jesus Christ impacts our lives. And it's kind of, it's pulled from real-life stories where a pastor working for a church um, heard stories. He knew people in the congregation. And he wrote letters responding to their life situations. Jesus is my example. I want to introduce you to Caleb. Caleb. <clears throat> Caleb was a lead singer for a cool band, out playing the clubs on, on weekends after working long hours at his regular job during the week. His free time was spent playing video games and looking at porn. He eventually got married, but things with his wife were brutally unpleasant and before long they were divorced. Caleb had no interest in Jesus whatsoever. His brother, who attended a different church, had become a Christian and was actively involved in leading worship there, but no matter how hard he tried, he couldn't get Caleb interested in anything spiritual. Some of Caleb's friends were members of the church, and they reached out to him, hoping to bring him to Jesus and the church, but to no avail. Except a few exceptions, and one was a really cool gal who Caleb had met and was hoping to sleep with because his divorce was final. Turned out she was a Christian and wouldn't sleep with him, but, would, but did want to go to church and attend church with him. Hoping he could still find a way into her bed, he attended church with her, only to confirm his fears that she really was totally into Jesus and totally not into sleeping with anyone but her husband when she got married someday. So, as he puts it, he carefully put her in the friend zone and planned to move on, pursuing other women for casual sex and fun. The pastor goes on. He would, he would pray for Caleb on occasion, but over the years... His prayers became less and less. Nonetheless, Jesus, in his perfect timing and faithfulness, did a miracle and made Caleb a Christian. He took out Caleb's old hardened heart of selfish pride and gave him a new heart that was tender towards Jesus and others. He took out Caleb's old rebellious nature and replaced it with a deep desire to honour God in holy living. In short, Caleb was one of those people who God seemed to get hold of all at once. Shortly after becoming a Christian, he attended their church. He was, he was rapidly transformed. He would go on his runs listening to the Bible on his iPod. He would tear his way through biblical theology with tremendous enthusiasm, all the while being very honest and transparent about how he used to live. He was infectious with his, his funny humour, his outreaching personality and his clear passion for Jesus. He was a natural evangelist. 
Before long, he was a leader in the church, running fast after Jesus. The woman that he'd carefully put in the friend zone, she became his fiancée, and they got married. They went on to serve as key leaders. Sorry. Sorry. Uh, I just saw myself in Kelly. Uh, so it's a beautiful example but I saw myself in Caleb just in that moment and uh, maybe you do too um, they were leaders in the church and they were a wonderful couple in the church doing great things and the one difficult part of their life was his wife's health he married her name that she had an ongoing battle with a brain tumour and as a result may not be able to bear children or live a long life. Nonetheless, he loves this woman so deeply and enjoys her so much. He chose to marry her anyway. He trusts God to enable him to love her well by caring for her, whatever the future might hold. Jesus' death on the cross is the example to Caleb. And he's the example to us. Now, just as for Caleb, for all Christians, it's a lifelong journey learning from the life of Christ. Today, I want us to see how the death of Jesus is our example. That's not a very positive sounding message, is it? It's an example of death. We don't normally see that as an example, but more of an end. And Jesus' example of, of dying well, suffering well on the cross, is actually most potent when we're feeling under most pressure, when we're feeling most suffering and hurt. The reason I want to speak to us about this today is because there's one of two ways that you respond to suffering. Suffering will either lead you to draw closer to God or to move further away from him. It'll do one or the other. And, and God wants us to draw close to him. He wants us to draw close to him, not pull away from him. And he will use suffering to that end to have us draw closer to him. He will use our suffering to that end if we will let him. Some of you here today are, and others who aren't with us this morning, are right in the midst of real suffering or you've been going through suffering recently. Others of us can remember seasons of tough hardship, real suffering. And there'll be a mix. They'll be like, but God came through. And there'll be, I never really understood why. And everything in between. Others of us have yet to face it. There's suffering in this life. It's part of the broken world. It's part of life. 
whether that's from stubbing your toe, which you might think, stubbing your toe, right through to losing a loved one, tragically. There's suffering from earthquakes, tsunamis, floods. There's suffering when we see dead bodies on our telly. Women and kids just trying to escape war. There's suffering when people sin against us. Many of you have suffered at the hands of others grievously, painfully, hideously. There's suffering for our own sin, the consequences of our own sin and our own foolishness. There's suffering in everyday life, in every life that's here. Here's some really cheery news. There is also a distinct suffering. That if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Christ, there is a distinct, unique suffering that you're called to in the cross of Christ. <laughs> Thanks, God. Um, but here, here's the caveat. Yet we'll see that it's, the cross is also the source of greatest comfort in and through suffering. I'm going to pray and then we'll get stuck into scripture. Let's, let's pray together. Father God, we long to see your name hallowed in and through us to see your kingdom established and to embrace your will no matter what the cost. To follow Christ and proclaim him boldly, even in the face of suffering for him. And to know deep joy, even as we endure that very same suffering. I pray that we will shine in this broken world so that others may see you, Jesus, and glorify you, Jesus, and maybe in time turn and follow you, Lord Jesus as we wait patiently for the day of your return. Make it so. Amen. Amen. So our main scripture today is from 1 Peter chapter 2. Don't worry if you haven't got your Bible. It will come up on, on the screen. If when you do good and suffer it, and, and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you've been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he didn't threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Hebrews 12, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sin as such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Jesus Christ is my example. If, if you are a follower of Christ, if you're a Christian, then he, his death on the cross is your example. But before we get stuck into how he's our example or how we follow in his steps, as, as Peter writes, I, I need to just clarify what I mean by saying Jesus is my example. And Carl touched on it very nicely earlier. He's not an example, he's not your example. If you're a follower of Christ, he's my example. Now, the reason this is important is because many non-Christians, in, in many ways, 
quicker than Christians are prone to see Jesus or explain him away as an example. Maybe a great example, maybe an inspiring example of incredible courage, stunning dignity in the face of outrageous injustice. Maybe an example of even reconciliating love. Oh, you know, God's love. Look, look, look how he shows it. But if they say that it is only our example and nothing more, what they're doing is denying, sometimes subtly denying, that there is power in the cross of Christ. And there is power in the cross of Christ. If you hear nothing else in in this series, his death brings life. You know, there's a clue in the title of the series, Death for Life. So when I say Jesus is my example, when you say Jesus is my example, we need to avoid any notion at all that he is just an example. Now, if you are his follower, then absolutely Christ is the pattern for your life. Absolutely he is. But before Jesus can be my pattern for life or your pattern for life, I must receive his pardon for my life. Do you get that? Before Jesus can be the pattern for my life, I must receive his pardon for my life, for all the sin I've done and all the sin I will do. Christ is given primarily as a gift. A gift. A saviour. He is my example, yes. But first, he is my saviour. John Piper puts it like this. Imitation is not salvation, but salvation brings imitation. Christ is not given first as model, but as saviour. In the experience of the believer, first comes the pardon of Christ, then the pattern of Christ. We sung it earlier. Jesus alone is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He alone is the one who bears the wrath of God. We'll be hearing on that another week. A really popular topic. The wrath of God. Actually, we need to know what we've been saved from. Absolutely. Before you can start really appreciating what he has saved you into. The wrath of God is his righteous anger towards sinners because of their sin. And that's a complex thing to work out. I'll let somebody else teach on that one another day. Um, But he alone is the one who bears the wrath of God. He turns it away from sinners and bears it in his own body. The one who knew no sin. He alone justifies sinners. So when I say imitation or following him or he's my example, I'm never meaning that in the sense that I duplicate what he alone accomplishes on the cross. I can't save anyone. You can't save anyone. Jesus alone saves. He is my example. He is my example. It says in Ephesians 2, verses 8 to 10, For by grace you have been saved through faith. Hallelujah. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one can boast. 
For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The cross of Christ is first the gift of God, and through the death and resurrection of the Son, the Father creates us for good works. We put it another way in a series many years ago on James, authentic faith works. Don't often hear faith and works together. It's all right. Um, authentic faith works. Good works, yeah, or as Piper puts it, imitation is not salvation. There's no earning your way into heaven. There's trusting in Jesus and what he has accomplished. Imitation is not salvation, but salvation brings imitation. So we become like Jesus. When you say yes to his free gift, you become like him, not in his pardoning of sin, but in his loving, like him. You learn to suffer for good. You learn to overcome evil with good. You become gentle and lowly, like he said he is. You serve as he served. You endure as he endured, and you patiently obey as he did. All in the power of the Holy Spirit, I might add. It's a stunning verse, and from early days of the Christian walk following Jesus, Hebrews 5 has been a massive encouragement to me. It says, although he was a son, talking about Jesus, he learned obedience through what he suffered. He learned obedience through what he suffered. Jesus learned obedience through what he suffered. It's not saying that like you and me, he had to learn how to be obedient. He never was disobedient like you or I. We're rebels. We've gone our own way, all of us, like sheep. Sheep are a bit daft, we strayed off. Jesus is sinless. He never had to learn obedience in that way. What it's talking about is he learned obedience in the sense that his perfect righteousness was actually revealed through what he suffered. His righteousness, it was always there. He was always obedient. But we needed to see it. And it was revealed in his suffering. Now look, if you wanted to know the true me, like the true character of Tom Allen, or anyone else, yeah, you want to see them in the hard times. You want to see them when they're suffering. You want to see them, you don't want to see them suffering, but you want to see them in those moments when they are hard-pressed. Because it's in those moments you see the true character. And that's why in this series we are looking at the cross of Christ. Because if you want to know Jesus, or you want to see him afresh, you need to look at him on the cross. And if you want to know his example, how do I do life in light of his death? You need to look at the cross. Just after Jesus had revealed to his disciples, the first time he's told them, I'm the Christ, and I'm going to have to die on the cross. Just after that, he says, he says to all, if anyone would come after me, if anyone's going to follow me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake 
will save it. What he's saying is, Jesus says, anyone who will follow me, you will take up your cross. You will. That's a promise. Not my will, Father, but yours be done. Not my will, Father, but yours be done. That's, that's the cry of a follower of Christ. You'll follow him on the path to Calvary. <laughs> this is really, this is not a great evangelistic message, like, in terms of, like, come and be a Christian, come and follow Jesus into death. Uh, not so popular, but that is the walk with Christ. It gets a bit more cheery later, so hang in there, stay with me. But, but we need to see this. We need to see this, that Jesus chose the cross. He chose to endure the cross. And we are never to think that in this life we're called to ease and comfort and freedom from suffering. Jesus never promised that. In fact, he said, in this life, you will have trouble. You will. That's the kind of promise you don't want, isn't it? Thanks for that. <laughs> but you will. There's pain, there's suffering for all of us in this, in this broken world. Now, if anyone deserved a free pass, a free pass, and suffering. It's got to be Jesus. It's got to be Jesus, the God-man. He's the only one who lived perfectly, never did anything wrong. If you look at all the world religions, just look at them and look at pain and their, and their God. It's only in the Bible that you see a God who chooses to know pain. To know pain. Rather than saying no to pain. And Jesus, if you're a follower of him, he knows the pain that you'll never ever taste. Hallelujah. He knows the pain that you will never ever have to experience. I just want to ask us ourselves a few questions. Um, I said earlier that, that if you're a follower of Christ, then he calls you to a distinct suffering. Um, Jesus said that, blessed are you. Blessed, blessed are you when you suffer for righteousness. Ask yourself, when have I suffered for the sake of Jesus? What areas in my life am I suffering for Jesus? And, and if not, then why do you think that is? We'll probably be covering that in. And there is no life groups. You can cover that at home before God. Is your response to suffering driving you deeper into God or driving you further away from him? The cross of Christ teaches us 
And it's more than just teaching, it's more than just theory. He shows us how to suffer well. Then coming back to 1 Peter 2, it says, He, Jesus, committed no sin. Neither was deceit in his mouth. He, he only ever spoke the truth. He is the truth. When he was reviled, and that's a, an old word for being heaped upon with abuse. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. So here's some points from these verses. How we suffer well. This is how we follow in his steps. Firstly, entrust yourself to God. Entrust yourself to God because he's the one who judges justly. Sin, all sin is paid for. There's, a, there's an encouragement and a warning here. All sin is paid for. If you say yes to Jesus' offer, he pays. If you say no, you pay. God the Father judges everyone. Justly, perfect. Entrust yourself to him. That's powerful. If you're a follower of him, you can let go of things. You can endure injustice, particularly when it's towards you. There's times to stand, absolutely, that you can endure injustice when it's coming your way. I just want to share, it's, it's a little bit of a, <laughs> I'm almost feel embarrassed in a way. It's a trivial example, but I think it's a helpful illustration. Many years ago, uh, in my work as a physiotherapist, me and a colleague um, really uh, clashed heads over a particular patient. Um, and I, I was full of pride, actually, truthfully. Um, God knew that. I didn't so well. Um, and... Uh, and communication really, really broke down. Um, and uh, in the end, my colleague put in a complaint against me, an official complaint. Um, and uh, and it, was, it grieved me so badly, probably for all the wrong reasons, but it grieved me so badly. Um, and, and I can remember my, my manager, when she gave me the complaint, she, she was like, you know, I've done these years and years. Over the years I've given these official warnings to people. It's going to be on your record for six months and then it'll be done with. But never once have I given one to somebody who didn't deserve it. Never once. You don't deserve this, but I have to give it to you. The other manager, who was less experienced, who'd actually dealt with the whole complaint procedure, she phoned me after it's all done with and, and she said, um, you know, I haven't dealt with many of these, these complaints before, um, but Human Resources, who were really helpful and advised me every step of the way, they told me that nearly every single time that a staff member puts in a complaint about one staff member, you can be absolutely certain that the other staff member will do a counter-complaint. And she said, you haven't done that. Thank you. That was my opportunity to say, well, <laughs> Jesus, 
has forgiven me. And all that he's forgiven me, this is a small price. Now, I didn't feel that at the time. I was like, this is not fair. All of those things, the injustice, the pain, all of that, I felt it. And it's kind of embarrassing because I'm like, Lord, thank you that you've grown me through that. But at the time, it hurt so much. And I share that just, just as a bit of an illustration. Coming back, sorry, to, we were on second, overcoming evil with good. Jesus, when he was reviled, when he was abused, he didn't retaliate. If you're anything like me, sometimes copying Jesus in his silence might be the best you can do. <laughs> That's not to say, if, if you come up and say something to me and I go silent, now you know what's going on. Like this. <laughs> um, um, but sometimes the key is you don't retaliate. He didn't retaliate. Jesus didn't give in to temptation to make stuff up. There was no false word in his mouth. He didn't threaten. He didn't hurl insults or abuse. Instead, he overcame evil with good father on the cross. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. That means you can forgive and you can pray for those who hurt you, who sin against you who bring injustice against you. If Jesus is your example. Thirdly, sometimes in this life we have to live with the why. Um, I don't want any of you to be crushed by suffering. God, our Father, even less so. There's times where there's no rational explanation for your suffering. And please, don't make the mistake that I must have made so many times, Lord knows, of thinking there's a rational explanation for somebody else's pain. Be very careful. Be very kind. Be very gentle. You know, before you can see clearly why he or she is suffering that way. Instead, look to Jesus. Be assured, we've heard it this morning, he knows your pain. Matt shared that, he knows, and he's made a way. He is the way, the truth and the life. <laughs> Look to Jesus. He is our great high priest who is able to sympathise. He's the one who was on the cross crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When you feel like that, when you're feeling, my God, why are you forsaken me? I don't get this. Call out to him as you live with the wife. And fully trusted good brothers and sisters to just cry with you if you need to. We'll rejoice with you another time, but we might grieve with you that day. Fourthly, point people to Jesus. When we suffer like Jesus, we actually proclaim Christ to them. It's, our, it's, it's part of our mission statement in Redeemer, isn't it? To lead others to find and follow Jesus. Now, I don't know if this is prophetic, a good guess, or just helpful advice, all, all three. Um, but to do that in this place, or in any place, to lead others to find and follow Jesus, then if you're part of us, you're going to have to endure some suffering. 
probably at the hands of those that you're trying to lead to find and follow Jesus. It's going to be hard. It's going to be painful. It's going to be costly. You're going to suffer. I wonder how many people will be here next week. <laughs> I'm looking. Like, um, it, it's going to be hard. My colleague, who I mentioned a few minutes ago, sometime later we were, we were talking and I shared a bit of my testimony to her. Um, how God had used me, like, I, I don't, I'm not even sure I was born again at this time, but he, looking back, I could see what he'd done. He used me to bring reconciliation in my family. My, my dad and my sister had not spoken in over 10 years. He'd not met his grandchildren, and God used me to bring reconciliation beautifully. And I shared that, and my colleague who, you know, sometime before had been like, you pay Tom Allen, shared about her dad and her. They'd not spoken in over 10 years. She couldn't really remember why, just that it was best left. And so I just said quite casually, well, look, if God can do it for me and my family, he can do it for you. She knew as a Christian. I said, I'll pray for you tonight. I'll pray for you tonight. And I have shared some of this before. Um, the next morning I came to work, regular morning. I, I did go home and pray on my bike on the way home. I prayed, God, do you do something beautiful? I forget exactly. But I prayed. And the next morning I came into work and my colleague, as soon as I walked in the room, she just welled up. She welled up. And she held a letter in her hand. And she said, when I got home last night, you said... You said God can do it. And when I got home last night, I opened the door and this letter was on the doormat. Read it. You read it. And I opened it up and it was a letter from her dad who she'd not seen or spoken to in so long. And he was saying, I want to see you. Let's go for a coffee. I want to meet. And I want to meet my grandsons. Stunning. Beautiful thing that God did. Well, faith was ignited in my colleague. And it wasn't too long before she was telling me about Messy Church and her two boys going along. And I remember the last day at my place of work there, she was one of a handful of people who wept as, as we said goodbye. It was a good, good crying, but it was a crying. Stunning. Point people to Jesus. Endure from them. Love them like Jesus loved them. Fifthly, know that there's purpose in your pain. There's purpose in your pain. Whether you're going through that right now or whether you're going to go through it further down the line. There's things in, that God achieves in and through our suffering that he might not do otherwise. Sovereignly, he chooses that. And so, I want to say to you, here's a challenge. Let, let suffering do its work in you. Okay, and I don't say that flippantly or lightly. Some of you, I don't know that well, but I know that you've been going through tremendous suffering. But if we let suffering do its work, it will do something beautiful. So from Romans 5, <coughs> suffering can mature us, can grow us. Romans 5, we rejoice in our sufferings. Rejoice, why? 
knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us hallelujah and here's the point pain is precious pain is precious the diamond is formed under tremendous pressure it's a phenomenal amount of pressure to produce something that is beautiful and reflects wonderfully and when we suffer well as followers of Christ then God produces something of great beauty in and through us In Romans 8, 28 to 29, it says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. All things work together for good, including suffering, including your pain, now, it doesn't feel like it. it. It often doesn't feel like it. When you're living with the why, it feels anything but light and momentary. You may feel perplexed. What good, what good can come of this, Lord? What, what good? It's just pain. The answer comes in the following verse. All things work together for good for those who are being conformed to the image of his son, <coughs> Jesus. Whatever God permits in your life or my life, he meant it for good. Pain is Pain is precious if we only see that God will use it to conform us to the image of his son. That's the purpose of it. To prepare us for when we see him face to face. When we are in his glory forever. Forever. And here's my... Last point, if I can ask the worship <coughs> to come up. Finally, we suffer well by taking comfort. <coughs> Take comfort. Why? Because your days are numbered. <laughs> your days are numbered. My days are numbered. <laughs> That's normally a threat, isn't it? Your days are numbered, mate. <laughs> like, <laughs> Oh, I'm reminded of uh, yeah, yeah. Um, Elijah doing a runner. like, your days are numbered. Um, that's not what I mean, thankfully. Take comfort, your days are numbered. From 2 Corinthians 4, verse 17, it says, For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory, beyond all comparison. Beyond all comparison, as we... Look not to the things that are seen, to life here, but to the things that are unseen, eternity. For the things that are seen are transient, they, they pass, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And Romans 8, verse 18, For I consider the sufferings of this present time 
just not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Take comfort, take comfort, because your days are numbered. <laughs> Our afflictions very rarely feel light and momentary in and of themselves, and I'm certainly not saying that in the Bible. Paul wasn't saying that. If you read a few verses before about all the afflictions he'd been through, nobody would say, oh, that's a bit light and momentary, Paul. Your afflictions are not light and momentary. God loves you. He cares. Matt shared that earlier. He cares. He knows your pain. But when we look to eternity, when we compare the now to the glory that will be revealed when Jesus returns, when we see him, when he says, well done, good and faithful servant, when he restores all things, we will go right momentary. Even if now we don't, don't see that.